Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey, Waterways Travel, uh, as we often speak about during the late winter, early spring, this is the time of year where you start thinking about where am I going to be going in August? Where am I going to be going in July? Sort of the doldrum, south swell season uh, here, at least in North San Diego County. You start thinking about where can I go get some waves? And of course, the first thing you do is go over to Waterways Travel, type in that URL, waterwaystravel.com, and a host of excellent surf locations are going to pop up for you to check out. Where would you go? I, right, I just went to their Instagram to see what they're advertising right now. They've got Tavarua for the last three posts. Fiji, Cloudbreak, Ballerum Stat getting shacked at Cloudbreak. Well, it's funny. I actually wrote some notes on surf travel. I thought we could maybe talk about it a little bit, maybe later in the in the podcast yeah. but so because where would you go requires you to ask how much money do you have mm. and how much time do you have those are the two things time and money and so those affect um you know where i might go because oftentimes especially if a southern hemisphere storm just pops up you know i'm like okay i've got three days i can go bing bang down there yeah to um the selena cruz area or if I've got two weeks, you know, <clears throat> maybe I'm thinking Selena Cruz hopped to Nicaragua, hopped to El Salvador, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe I'm thinking something much deeper into the Pacific. Um, you know, it's like someplace like Tahiti. If you've got time, money, and... Um, Balls. Yeah, I mean, Tahiti's, Tahiti's a pretty groovy... Like, the, you know what the ultimate groovy surf trip is i think <clears throat> is you fly to tahiti and you you get a charter like a trimaran and you do tahiti on a boat and you just go from island to island you cruise around you you just take your little dinghy in get in a cab cruise to the and you spend you know whatever amount of time you want to spend on the land but then when you're in tahiti on a boat man you see the islands from the water it's it's phenomenal and, um, and I've actually done that before. <laughs> That's why I know this is a good idea. 
Because um, now you've got like a, guy, a, a local guy that's showing you around. He speaks the language. He knows how to get in and out of everywhere because you've chartered this expert. Yeah. Um, ideally, they're cooking for you on the boat. But, you know, you can go have meals wherever. Well, if you don't um, have a full year to take off like Torin Martin or six months like John John Florence to actually make the crossing itself, which is full yeah. of tons of work and, you know, expertise and all that sort of stuff what you just offered is the perfect solution. It's like a full on adventure, but without all of that, you know? Yeah. We should talk about this more because you, you bring into the equation another, um, another variable, which is adventure. Yeah. So there's time, there's money, there's adventure level. Yeah. There's surf skill level. Yeah. You know, there's well, a lot of things to, to, to consider. And well, I think for, it's worthy of a segment. The one thing that you should not uh, burden yourself with, considering that you are burdening, are con, uh, handling all of those details, don't burden yourself with the travel aspect of it. Getting there, booking it, waterwaystravel.com can handle all of that. They'll even tell you which boards you should bring for a given time of year, what to expect uh, from the conditions, tides, wind, all that sort of stuff. How many surf spots are around, what to be, you know, if you're a novice, if you're an intermediate, if you're an expert, which surf spots you should be focusing on. So all of that expertise um, just comes with waterwaystravel.com. So they'll help you get dialed in, handle all of that stuff that always is, you know, anxiety inducing when you're traveling. So check them out, waterwaystravel.com. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. It is a time of yeah, guy. It's a time to say it from the depths of your diaphragm. Yeah, guy. David, it's spit. It's Tuesday. It's a Wednesday or it's a wet Tuesday, I should say, here in Southern California. It's uh, March 20th, David, mm. uh, 2023. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's raining in Orange County. Is it raining down there in San Diego? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. raining. We've got the old atmospheric river flowing through. Nice. I made it up to the mountains this past weekend so that the dog and the baby could spend time in the snow. Oh, how did the dog like the snow? Better than the baby. The dog, it turns <laughs> out, the dog is a wild beast who would prefer to be there than in our, cooped up in our house all the time. And it made no me doubt. realize that so much of her neurotic behavior is just a direct result of us keeping her indoors most of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I won't get into uh, any of the um, ethics of pet ownership because I've certainly violated <laughs> numerous suggestions. But, uh, well, it, okay. So not to get too deep into family dynamics, but there's a real divide in our house between Lauren and myself in terms of, um, how we treat or what we expect out of the dog and how we treat the dog and, you know, all of that sort of thing, how you raise a dog. And so I do come from that belief of like, this is a wild beast. She doesn't, less <laughs> is more for her. Like, honestly, uh, creating a quote, luxurious life for her does not bode well for her. Like it only <laughs> creates 
you know, scratching herself raw basically because she has nothing to actually worry about in her life. Um, so anyways, we took her up to the mountains and she just like, we brought her into the woods off leash. She's jumping every like tree that's fallen over. She's just jumping it for the heck of it. You know, like, Hey, that looks like it'd be fun to jump. I'm going to jump that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk down the entire length of the tree, walk back, jump down, jump back up. There's a little river in the backyard. She's diving into the river you know, it's icy cold. It's all just mountain snow runoff. She literally like leaps off the shore into the middle of the river. She's chasing rocks, thinking that they're balls. She's having the time of her life trying to eat snow straight out of the sky. So she was absolutely <laughs> loving it. That's so great. I sensed the joy that was in your sweet dog during those times. And that's pretty cool. And it's, it's a whole can of worms what you've opened up here. Um, and we better not go down it because we're a surf podcast. But, um, you know, there's a lot to be di digested for a later date, perhaps. Surfers have dogs. Right. Shaping bays. I've seen lots of dogs in shaping bays, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, look, um, <clears throat> let me just start off the show by saying, hey. Hey. The California Gold Surf Auction is happening. Um, and, David, as you may know, custom customarily I include one or two boards were that are within reach for the aspiring collector and with this that in mind me. i want to tell you about oh are you one of these i made a bid yesterday you did i did wow, but go ahead you great. go first okay so we have uh on offer a five foot six inch uh 1982 nectar simon anderson three fin thruster shaped by art collier if you don't know who art collier is he's um an iconic San Diego shaper or he was. I don't think he lives here anymore. I think he might have retired. Um, but he had a label called Third World Exotic, which I believe he sold to Larry Maybill. But um, art shaped for Nectar for years. So we have a 1982 Nectar Simon Anderson three-fin thruster. It's a what-you-see-is-what-you-get board. It's beat up. It's well-ridden, well-worn, got some discoloration, probably some delamination, some hideous dings that have been fixed hideously. Um, but we feel like it's a historically significant surfboard. This was during the heyday, the early days of the thruster, 1982. Um, of course, state of the art in that respect, um, due to the fact that Gary McNabb, the owner of Nectar and a legendary shaper in his own right, had a deep friendship with Simon Anderson. So um, right when the thruster was just like, coming onto the scene and everyone in the world was all of a sudden putting three boards, three fins on a surfboard. Um, we've got this board from Nectar and I believe the starting bid was a hundred dollars. So again, this is a board, this is a lot that's in the auction for those of us out there that, um, you know, don't have $10,000, but might have $200 and are interested in getting involved this is a cool board, and again, it's historically significant, but it's um, it's within reach for those of us, um, you know, that just have a smaller budget. Um, I really feel like this whole auction market is going just like upward, you know, like in terms of the values. In ten years from now, these will look like bargains. In fifty years from now people won't be imagine that we were able to buy these things for these prices. And so the board that you're talking about is, like you said, culturally very important, but uh, 
you have to be in the know. You know, it's like the big yeah. the big brewer balsa. It's like under it's easy to understand. It's big, it's pioneering, and it's kind of like easy to understand. This falls in a little niche that you have to actually know what's going on in surfing to really appreciate. And it's a crazy low price. So it's like to be able to kind of get in something like that for basically free or under certainly under value in 10 years from now is going to be just like an iconic gem that you can't imagine you were able to pick up for such a such a steal. Yeah, it's a cool board. I mean, it's look, it's not shaped by Simon. It's not shaped by Gary McNabb. It's it's a nectar that was shaped by one of his production shapers, Art Collier. But again, it because of the time frame, 1982 a nectar uh three fin like you say you know um i think it's a really cool board um and for the for the price you're right and surfboards are uh, look we're in a time where there's been some um you know some uh unease disease unease regarding the banking system and regarding the finance system and what goes up in value is hard assets it's amazing what the art the art world, the art collection world is ridiculous. The returns you're getting on, if you bought a $5,000 piece of art 10 years ago, it's worth 30000 bucks or something. It's like through the roof, the you know the rate of return. And the same is the true with a lot of hard assets, um, real estate, gold, these types of things. And surfboards, vintage collectible surfboards fall in that category. Cars, things like that. Hard assets um, is where the smart people are putting their money. And <clears throat> I'm not saying buy surfboards for investments i think you buy surfboards because you love them but the data doesn't lie regarding when it's time to move on from these things um you're not going to lose money yeah yeah almost with anything even the things that you just mentioned i don't own some you know some of those things but um like high-end art but i've never bought anything with the intention of selling it really to be perfectly honest, like no. even stocks and stuff like that, it's like, eh, I'm just going to hang on to it until, I mean, maybe when I retire, I'll sell it, you know, but I've never had the strategy of buying with the intention of selling. It's always been just yeah. because you love something and you want to collect it. And and it's nice if it does hold value. I mean, that's certainly part of the criteria that I'm running, but I'm not going to sell it. I like that the value goes up and it's still in my <clears> pocket. Well, let's let me tell you that the lots for the auction begin closing this Saturday. So this Saturday is the big the big push. Saturday it'll be at eight p.m. if you're on the East Coast. Eight p.m. Saturday, March twenty fifth. If you're here on the West Coast, it'll be five p.m. Pacific Standard Time, <clears throat> March twenty fifth. If uh, you're in Hawaii, it'll be two p.m. And if you're in Tokyo, it's actually Sunday, March twenty sixth at nine a.m. in Tokyo. Sunday, March 26th at 11 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. So go to the Vintage Surf Auctions, plural, the Vintage Surf Auctions, plural.com. And you can click on the link and be directed straight to preview all the boards. What well, yeah. now? Yeah, go ahead. Yesterday I bid. So, oh, my. For, look at you, bro. I know. I know. So Thank you. For whatever reason. <laughs> well, when you texted me and said, Do you have time for a call? I, it was right after that. So I thought maybe you got a notification that I had signed up as a bidder. Uh, or, or something? Uh, no. Okay. It was unrelated. Right. But um, essentially, I Googled uh, California Gold Surf Auction, Dick Brewer Balsa. I wanted to see the board that you were talking about last week. And <laughs> turns out you have a number of Balsa brewers. Three. Uh, three different yeah. Balsa brewers. Yeah. And the one that popped up, for some reason, was priced at, I want to say, $1,500, 1500 
And I was like, that can't be right. That has to be like outdated or I need to refresh the screen or something like that. And I found the other two and the other two were going for significantly more than that. But that one was 1500 bucks. And I then of course read through the description and figured out why it was priced less than those, but it was still a crazy bargain. So I'm like 1500 bucks. I can't not bid on that. Like that's strictly again, not that I'd want to sell it, but strictly for an investment thing. It's not going to go down in value. I could justify it to myself. I could justify it to Lauren. I will never be able to afford one of these if it sells for fair market value. So this is a rare opportunity for me. I could park the money knowing I could get the money out if I ever really needed it. You know what I mean? So I dropped the bid at 15 and it's like, boom, you've been outbid 16. I'm like, all right, well, how, (laughs) how high do I go? Well, somebody else probably set their high, you know, at a certain number. Uh, And and so I'm, I'm basically putting it in the system to get them up to their number. So I put in 15 and it says, nope, somebody already bid 16. So you're out. I'm like, okay, do I go 17? Let's see. 17. Nope. Nope. You've been outbid. Now it's 18. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to only chase this to like where I'm comfortable because <laughs> I'm kind of getting, you know what I mean? I 15 yeah. sounded fair, but now where, where am I actually comfortable spending money? And I go, once it goes over 2000, I will maybe sleep on it, reevaluate the whole situation, all that sort of stuff. So I click it again and I'm at 19, boom, winning bid at $1,900 for a Brewer Balsa gun. So I felt phenomenal about that all day. And I'm like, there's no chance that this sells for less than 2K if it still has five days left on the auction. And then sure enough, I woke up this morning and it turns out I was outbid this morning. So I'm going to have to evaluate my strategy throughout the end of the day because I could also be convinced that 3,000 is a bargain and I can keep (laughs) bidding it up to there. Do you you recall which, I'm trying to find it here. What, do you remember what number it was? What lot number? Uh, No, but it's on my phone. I mean, I got the email about it. It was the one I'm without sure any right. stringers. There's a five stringer, a three stringer, and a zero stringer, right? The stringer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's the stringerless one. Uh, lot, no, lot number 21. Okay. 1996 yeah. okay. Uh, Brewer Balsa Elephant Gun. Yeah, super cool board. And um, so the reason a just. A cool story, a really cool story. Maybe you could tell people about the story. Yeah, The well, the only part that I was. Um, just going to mention was the reason why it was priced lower from what I assume is that there was wood damage, like some sort of insect had eaten through. Well, some hold on. Of- First of all, let me just say this. It's not priced lower. It's priced at seven to $9,000 is the price. But the bid, the bid was lower. Yeah. The bid was lower. That's, that's because it's early bidding. Yeah. Well, no, but I feel like the other balsa brewer was like around 10 K. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. So this one was significantly less in the in the current bidding. Anyways, uh, there was some sort of insect that the board had been stored, and there was some sort of wood eating insect that had kind of gotten into it, and um, it has since been repaired. Like they kind of uh, dug that out, put new pieces of balsa, re you know laminated it, so it's all clean and done. But you could see those little bits of uh, imperfection in a couple of different yeah. places on the board. And so yeah. that's probably why this one was a lower bid than the other ones. But to me, I was like, that's not a deal breaker. You know what I mean? It's still looks No, it's great. actually really cool. I love this board. I've Obviously, I've held all the boards. This one's super sexy under the arm. It's a little narrower. It's got a real gunny vibe to it, which I like, you know, just because of that, you know, like that sort of sexy supermodel vibe when you put it under your arm. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the story is really cool. 
you know, like it's yeah. kind of a cool story that these boards sat in some dude's glass shop on Maui for years. You know how that happens, right? Yeah. Like boards get shipped and somebody didn't, whatever, didn't pay for the glass job. And the guy's like, well, you know, they just sat in the back and they eventually got pushed and, you know, buried <laughs> into the back of the glass shop. <laughs> so it's kind of a cool story. And then eventually they were found and um, those that balsa was repaired and it's kind of a cool look. Yeah, well, for anybody listening, it's only at two thousand bucks right now, so it's still a smoking deal. It's a ten six. Yeah. So super, super good. Yeah, really cool. So that was my venture in in a Well what's the deal? Are you are you willing to go deeper? Are you are you you trying to bid me up right now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm actually looking like there's there's an insane Hobie brewer that's that's expected to go for 10,000 bucks. That's only at like 1500 or something. Oh, so you're trying to redirect my money. Is that what we're doing no, here? I'm, Here's I'm, the deal. Shut up. Yesterday no, no, I woke up sh- and I had no, <laughs> I had no intentions of being involved in surfboard auction market. And I went to sleep, no. like fully thrilled about it, about the concept. <laughs> so now I need to reevaluate everything. Okay. Yeah. Step away. That's Step away. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll dive in at the last minute in five days. That's actually. what you do. You got to watch it. Be there Saturday evening at five o'clock Pacific Standard Time and just watch the thing. And that's where you like, bang, you get the, you know, you get the hot deal. Right totally. There. Maybe that nectar. Maybe. I'll be looking around. Make sure I'll schedule Sunday night home on the sofa with my laptop. David, um, what yes. have you got for me today, bro? Because I've got <clears throat> something that's going to be extremely boring. Mm. It's, it's, it's an El Nino update. Wow. Great, uh, great opening pitch. Uh, I'll tell yeah, you what. I well, let's, I just let's... want to be honest with people. You know, I don't like this isn't clickbait. Okay, well, let's saying? let's start. Uh, let's segue more gently when continue talking about surf. <laughs> continue okay. talking about surfboards, not take a full detour yeah. into a weather report. Um, okay. <laughs> I so. I don't know how clued in you are to this, but you're you're aware of the filmmaker Andrew Kidman, right? Andrew Kidman in Australia, he made Litmus back in the day. He's made a bunch yep. of other films, or a few other films, I should say. I think he worked at Tracks Magazine also. He was like the youngest editor ever. Um, yep. And yep. so writer, he was a surf media man. But he's been making yep. writing books, and um, he has a magazine. He calls it Ace Tone, but it's Acetone is the, the word as it reads. But he calls yep. it Ace Tone, and uh, I think they've had two issues of that. And uh, really, he's been focusing most of his energy on making surfboards, actually, is where this is going, and making films. And the last few films actually have come with a book. So he did a film on George Greeno maybe three years ago called On the Edge of a Dream, exploring the edge board design with Greeno and Ellis Erickson. Um, Anyways, he just released a new film and book, and the film is called Big Sky Limited, that's the name of the company that does all of these things, but the book is also named that. And I just want to mention it to you. I want to mention it to listeners because I watched the film. I've read a couple of the essays in the book, and it is the best um, a thing, film, or anything that I've ever seen on hand-shaping surfboards and writing those boards yourself. And so he profiles and interviews Greeno in the film, you know, who's a famous uh, shaper surfer. 
Dave Parmenter is heavily featured in the film, who's a famous shaper surfer. And then there's a new crop of guys. Oh, Simon Anderson. Um, there's a new crop of guys, though. Bo Foster, Creed McTaggart, um, Shyama Buttonshaw is in there. There's uh, there's others, too. But Bo, Bo Foster is kind of the main one through line through the film. And so they're new to it, but he's working under Parmenter. And so there's lots of conversations in the shaping bay about, you know, really nitty gritty details about what they're trying to achieve. And by the way, I don't know if you remember Bo Foster, but Bo Foster was he's really hot up and coming Australian surfer who kind of deviated from the CT or QS path and has just really been exploring free surfing. And he's just a really stylish, phenomenal talent. And now he's building his own boards. But Andrew Kidman has this crazy property. I think it's in New South Wales. It's called Big Sky, actually. And he has a shaping bay on the property. And he doesn't, I don't even, I've never even seen him like advertising surfboards for sale. But he's been shaping boards for a long time. For his own use and for his friends. And then he has these guys, Simon Anderson, Wayne Lynch, Greeno, Parmenter, come through and, you know, a lot of those guys are local, but Parmenter comes and stays for a while and they'll just work on concepts together and they'll build boards for one another. And I don't know, maybe they're fulfilling orders at the same time, but I've never seen them advertise orders, trying to make sales <laughs> or anything like that. They're really just kind of working on How things. do they live? How are they making a living? Dude, I don't know how anybody makes a living. <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> nowadays. They're just know, traveling like, gypsies. About you know? me. They're like, what does this guy do for work? I don't know. He golfs a lot and he owns more <laughs> surfboards than anybody. <laughs> yes, people do wonder exactly that. But so, but my point is it's an R&D studio, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, so this film documents a lot of those relationships. But again, the focus is surfer shaper. The focus is writing your own board, not just shapers who are putting out a bunch of stuff to get the pros to ride their boards. No, it's about writing your own board and it's really good i mean it's like kidman's style is slow pacing detailed like it absolutely would not um sell you know it wouldn't get a half a million views on youtube in a week like some of these other videos do or like noah yeah. dean's video or anything like that but for guys like you guys like me listeners of this show certainly the shapers who listen to our work this is like gold. This is the best thing I've ever seen about this thing. Yeah. Well, cool. I want to check it out. And it, it's exciting. And I love what you said. And I, I guess what is sort of the, the theme of what he's putting out, which is surfers shaping their own boards mm -hmm. and riding them. And, um, and I was, when you were saying it, I was thinking to myself, how does, how does a, somebody listening you know, wrap their heads around or wrap their hands around actually shaping their own board. You know, like how, how approachable is it? How difficult is it for you or I or anybody listening to actually go and just do this to like craft a board, you know? And there's, there's quite a few little hurdles to get over. One of which is the actual, like actually learning how to shape, you know, yeah. besides the fact that, you know, getting the tools, getting the place to do it, um, you know, that stuff. Well, and so there's shaping I think there's a for market work. out there. You know what I mean? I think there's a market out there for 
I don't even mean like a commercial market. Like I, I don't mean to say, hey, let's make a business. What I mean to say is there could be a market for somebody who wants to help other people. You know what I mean? For somebody who has the time to help other people to to attain this thing, which is shaping and writing your own surfboards. You know, I don't know what that looks like, but you know, it, somebody it, could raise their hand and go, you know, is my life's part of my life's mission to help people shape and ride their own boards. And you know, at UCSD, they have this craft center, the UCSD University of California at San Diego craft center, where they actually have, they will, you can sign up for classes to learn how to shape surfboards. And they're done by Brian Szymanski, Valerie Duprat. Uh, I want to say there's a couple of others, but I know Valerie does puts a lot of her stuff out on Instagram where she's teaching people, guys like you and me who've never shaped a surfboard, how to create, craft, shape, and ride their own boards. And that's an outlet for this, right? So yeah. Brian Szymanski and Valerie Duprat at the UCSD craft center and if you're interested you should google it and go sign up and frankly i should do it like yeah. for the guy who's like all blah 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 about surfboards i've only shaped one surfboard in my life and i didn't really shape it i came off a machine and i finished it you know so i didn't like get in there with the planer and um i keep threatening to do that but i i have too many boards yeah <laughs> i got boards coming at me left and right but uh i i i think what's missing is that i'm not shaping and riding my own board. And frankly, I can tell deep in my heart that that's something that not only that I want to do that, but that I would appreciate that I would For really sure. like it would unlock a whole new level of understanding For that sure. I need to do. Sorry to hundred soliloquy, but go ahead. hundred percent and space and time is the issue. I think for you and I, um, San Luis Obispo, Cal State San Luis Obispo also has a class, a shaping class. Um, so you could check it out if you're on the Central Coast. But there are businesses that exist that do exactly what you're talking about. I know there was a business called Shaper Studios that was focused on doing that. There's other businesses like uh, Foam Easy up here by Huntington Beach that has a storage container in the back that is converted into a shaping bay. And then uh, local shapers like Chaz Wickwire, who you mentioned last week, I think he's on call for them. So if somebody books the shaping bay, they call Chaz and they're like, Hey, we've got an appointment. Can you come in and teach this person how to shape? So a novice is learning from, you know, a pro. That's great. Seasoned pro. That's great. But, yeah, I love it. but so space is an issue if you really want to get into this. And then, like you said, the tools, which are all available at surf supply uh, places which are kind of plentiful here in Southern California, but maybe not so much elsewhere in the world. And they'll sell you some of these are just Stanley tools that you could buy at Home Depot, you know, like uh, microplanes and stuff like that, sanding blocks, but planers even. Um, but surfboard blanks, resin, fiberglass is all stuff that you kind of have to source a little bit more specifically. But one thing that Andrew Kidman says in the film when he's talking about Bo Foster is he's like, you know, Bo was gung-ho, and for the first, I don't know how many boards he said, dozens or a hundred boards, he undershaped and overshaped all of them, you know? And so it makes you realize you come in with these concepts and you're just like, I want to execute this concept, and you do something extreme, and <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. exactly, I because I've shaped a surfboard, I've shaped actually a couple, but I remember the first one I made, it was like, 
all right, what's Kelly Slater writing? And now I'm <laughs> now I'm gonna shape this super low volume thruster that is it was just terrible, you know. And it's like, and then I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna spray paint it. So I tape off everything, and every single spray paint line had bleed through. So there's just not a single straight line on it. Uh, the thing was horrific, and I think I only tried to surf it two or three times. But it, you know, I spent a bunch of money buying the blank and spent a bunch of time, then spent money like, okay, I'm not going to glass it myself. So, okay, who can glass it for me? That's another $200, <laughs> you know, and then I have something that's unsurfable at the end of it all. Um, but anyways, uh, that it's part of, I think Bo Foster, when you're watching him go through it and you're hearing him develop concepts and say it to Parmenter and you hear the way Parmenter communicates it back to him, it's really illuminating and enlightening. And it's like, man, the way that I care about food and want to cook my own meals and source the right meat and all that sort of stuff, this is that. But in a much more kind of, I don't know, um, I don't. it's a less essential thing, but it's kind of a more kind of artistic thing, you know? Yeah. Or fulfilling thing, yeah, too. It's, it's, I just thought of something, too, is um, the other thing that's in this equation is time. Like, it takes a lot of time. Hmm. To, to not only just shape one board, but to learn how to shape or whatever. So I was thinking to myself, when do you have a lot of time, David? When do you, when do you and I and people listening to the show have a lot of time? And I thought, you know, when, when I have a lot of time is when I'm on a surf trip. Hmm. Like if I go to like Indo or to Mexico, I'm basically more or less like, let's say Nicaragua or whatever. I've got hours in between sessions where wouldn't it be cool is if, you had somebody like Dave there or whoever, you know, whoever's the like local expert. Like if you're in Nicaragua, maybe it's like Tom Eberly or somebody. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas. But the point is, is that if you got a week, 10 days at a surf spot and you're on a surf trip, what a great time to build a board too. Because totally. you're just fully involved. You're just in the middle of it. You're surfing twice a day. You're, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're shaping a board and you've got the expert guy there that's like this and you're tinkering with ideas. And I think a lot of the magic happens. It might not even actually be the board that comes out at the end yeah. product. It's more the, the communication with the expert and the understanding of the variables and um, and just probably the friendship and the fellowship that's gained through that process. 100%. So Parmenter says something right along those lines that really hit me that I'm like, this guy nails it. You know, and a lot of what he says, by the way, over the years, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with him and a lot of what he says, it rings as true when he says it. But then like five years down the road, I'm like, holy cow, we've been talking about something on air that I'm like kind of uh, concepts that I'm grabbing at or like ideas that kind of morph. And what he said five years ago was a super concise distillation of some idea that I've been like trying to land on for five years. And we spend hours discussing it on on the show. Maybe it's the WSL or the way that competition is, you know, uh, impossible to judge or whatever it is. And I'm like, Dave Parmenter five years ago gave me one sentence that summed all of that up. But one of the things that he talks about in this film is um, how the greatest epiphanies in surfboard design happen um like through exp like backyard shapers essentially land on these things he's like the boards that i've had that are perfect that come out like um exactly how like through tons of refinement and all the all these concepts 
distilled down into a perfectly refined version of something that I've been working on for a long time or something that somebody else, those boards are sterile. Like once the design is completed, it's sterile and there's no real epiphanies at that point. And it might surf good and dependable and all that sort of stuff. But he's like all of the epiphany design like uh, cornerstones came through backyard shapers just experimenting on something. And he's like, and you're just as likely to land on that if it's your 10th board or your 10,000th board, you know, and, and it might be argued you're actually wow. more likely to land on that if it is your 10th board because you're not already down some pigeonhole or rabbit hole yeah. or whatever chasing some perfectly refined latest thing. model yeah exactly yeah. he's like the experimentation is where all of it happens and the experimentation is done by backyard guys you know it's not done in a giant factory where you're trying to fulfill retail orders it's all done in the backyard so there's we cannot let that go away we have to always be kind of driving towards that with that acknowledgement and don't poo-poo any ideas be open to all of it you know yeah and I don't think that's going away. I don't think that that will ever go away. There will always be young, excited, um, for lack of a better phrase, backyard surfboard shapers. And they're all around us, you know. And I think of like um, like Noah Thornton here in San Diego or Derek Disney or there's a bunch of there's a bunch of young guys in their you know, mid to late 20s that are shaping surfboards and they're exploring different things. And um Dave, I, think there, I mean, I think there's yeah. actually, I think there's kind of a revival to be perfectly honest. I, I've just noticed it through my communications with our podcast listeners. A lot of people, you just named people who are doing it, you know, Disney's doing it essentially professionally at this point, but I hear from so many people who have day jobs who are, who started doing it just as a backyard passion project and then eventually built a shed and now they've got a shed in their backyard and now they're fulfill they're doing orders for other friends and now they're making five boards a week, you know? And it's like, that's yeah. not enough to build a business on, but that's enough to get over a couple of years, a couple hundred boards under your belt and really understand the tools and understand the process and be able to make good surfboards at that point, you know? And there's a lot of those guys. I mean, I get tons of communication from people like that all over, by the way, you know? Well, a couple of things. First of all, Dave Parmenter is probably, I don't think it's a stretch to say he's the most intelligent voice in surfing. Uh, this guy, in my opinion, and I know he loves what he does, but I think he could have been an astronaut. Like, I think he could have been a physicist. Like, I think he could have been an astrophysicist. Like, he's incredibly smart, like next level. I, you know, and I've been with him a few times and he's just he's he's brilliant maybe to a fault in some regards you know um if there is such a thing as being brilliant to a fault i don't know if that exists but regardless the, then the other thing that you mentioned um which is fascinating to me is i was talking to jp st pierre about he puts out this thing on instagram called shapers who shred and he put like tyler out tyler hot in and he put tyler warren and he put um some other guys and when you think about it, there's so many shapers, and Dave, for instance, there's so many shapers at Shred, and Dave Parmenter would be one of them. One of the things that JP's running into is copyright infringement. He's like, he puts these pictures, he takes pictures off of the shaper's website, posts them, and then the photographer's like, hey, man, take down my picture. And he's like, well, I'm just trying to promote these guys. Yeah. But anyway, point is, 
the what we got into is how many boards do you have to make before you're considered a shaper? Because there's a lot of guys that shred, like for instance, Noah Thornton absolutely shreds, Derek Disney absolutely shreds. What's the number of boards you have to make before you can be in the shapers who shred category, like that you're a, an official shaper? And JP was like, I don't know, 100 boards, which is the number you just mentioned, 100 boards. So, um, you know, 100 boards, how many, there are so many shapers that shred. In fact, I would suggest to you that nine out of 10 shapers shred. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't, it's hard to think of shapers that don't shred unless they're so old they can't surf anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I don't know either. I, the Putting a number on it almost feels arbitrary, but I still do want to put yeah. a number on it. You know, it's almost more yeah. of a mentality. Like the desire to shape is, uh, is a real passion-driven thing. And so once you've been bit by that bug, you qualify. Plus, I remember like um, seeing Ryan Birch when he was a teenager in the Cardiff parking lot. And I, he was like on number whatever. 25 or something and, I, and they were really good boards you know what i mean yeah already at number 25 he knew what he was doing you could tell totally right on well uh big sky limited is the name of that book and film uh parmenter also wrote a number of essays in that book uh and i i would just google big sky limited andrew kidman and you'll land there and i think he only made 1100 copies of it so it's limited run but um by the way i did google it and it's BigSkyLimited.org because there's a Big Sky Limited construction company in Montana that you could also land on. Yeah. So BigSkyLimited.org is where you would go to <clears throat> to check out Kidman's, um, all of the stuff that Kidman has available. Yeah, that construction company is his side business. He spends splits his time between Montana <laughs> and Australia. <laughs> yeah. um, my. David. Welcome to the Stoke Zone. You may or may not be able to see my hat, but it says, Welcome to the Stoke Zone. Real Water Sports. And David, Real Water Sports is your one-stop online store for everything hardcore surf. Boards, wetsuits, fins, gear, board bags, rashies, uh, wax, and, oh, by the way, trucker hats. Mm, I love it. Real Water Sports. Easy to find Stoke at Real Water Sports. I just Googled NVS fins on their website. Obviously, you and I ride NVS fins in our surfboards. And I was just like, I know they do, um, they are partnered with Real Water Sports, but what among their offerings do they have? Turns out they have a bunch of the Apex series fins that we always talk about. Uh, they have the C drives that we talk about in tries and quads. Roger Hines apparently has a various sets of fins with nvs which i was unaware of maurice cole has a reverse v setup with them dan man mankind also has uh nvs fins ipa skip fry has an apex single fin uh something for everyone i think is what they have so you can support both of our sponsors real water sports and nvs on one website buy your fins from them and by the way i think if you buy a surfboard and then you get any accessories with it, they knock 15% off the accessories. So maybe wait to buy the fins until you're buying a new board and then benefit from that 15% discount. And uh, you know what? NVS, I just got their uh, registration for the boardroom show. So the NVS will be at the boardroom show. We're excited I'm, about that. I'm thrilled to hear that. I'll be there too. Okay, well, is that it? 
yeah, it's realwatersports.com <laughs> or surfnvs.com. Of course, follow them all on Instagram, and that kind of keeps you in the loop with everybody. Uh, I think it's Naked Viking Surf is the Instagram handle for NVS, and then, of course, Real Water Sports. So, yeah, go check them out. Thank you. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so give me your weather. Give me your, uh, let's cut into okay, the so weather forecast. Good news or bad news, we don't know. As, sur as surfers, we consider it good news, and it's that we are transitioning into El Nino. Um, El Nino, what is it exactly? Well, it's hard to sort of quantify. I'll try to do this without being too boring, but basically you have this thing called the Madden-Julian Oscillation, David. And this is an oscillation between two phases, a, an active phase and an inactive phase. The active phase is when low pressures move into the West Pacific that energy from the low pressure imparts um, warm, humid air from the West Pacific into the atmosphere, which um, shoves it into the jet stream, which moves up above the equator and spins off you know, low pressures, which create big storms and big waves. So the active phase of the MJO, we are now um, in the active phase. It has become dominant. It will continuously feed energy into the jet stream. And again, we're, if we're not exactly right in it, all the forecasters are saying this is the transitioning period into the active phase. And, um, and what the active phase does is it also dampens trade winds, which normally run from east to west. And what we get are these things called westerly anomalies, wind anomalies. And they're not miles per hour. They're just small anomalies above or below what is normal. And Western, obviously, again, trade winds run east to west, but westerly wind anomalies run uh, west to east. And those move warm water from that active phase of the MJO area in the West Pacific across the Pacific to the Galapagos and Ecuador. 
and from there that warm water bubbles up to the surface and we're pretty excited i mean we should be pretty excited Um, although it does create a lot of chaotic weather it seems like that's going to happen regardless of what occurs so as surfers um, we should be excited that we're in and the transition towards an El Nino. We've been in La Nina for three years. There's also a neutral condition, which is the same amount of active and inactive uh, of the Madden-Julian oscillation, but we are now um, experiencing active, more act, more low pressures over the Western Pacific is the best way to sort of quickly summarize it. There's obviously a heck of a lot more science to it than that. But I think that's enough for everyone to digest at this point. When will we see the effects of that in terms of waves? Uh, that's a great question. And I'm not sure I can answer that with any Spring, uh, efficacy. summer, next winter? For sure next winter. For sure next fall. Okay. I think. Um, and usually what happens is we have way more low-pressure systems um, over and over and over. Whereas in La Nina's, we'll get one or two massive one, and then we'll be in this period, which we've been in lately, where it's just kind of, we haven't had a whole lot of swell, at least down here in Southern California. And um, so look, all we have to do is look to El Nino winners. The, the big one for me was 82 at 83. That one was massive. There was a couple in 90s, 96, I think 97, 97, 98. That, that was super huge. And, um, we're looking at, we're staring down another one <clears throat> right now. And um, I think this next winter uh, could be pretty massive and pretty powerful and could be a, all eyes could be on big waves. And it, we'll see. Start getting those board orders in right now for next winter. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're pushing surfboards. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, <clears throat> so I've got a couple of notes as it relates to the WSL. Uh-huh. Um I was hoping we'd have a, a WSL free show. Uh, okay. I wasn't hoping that, but I was wondering if we could do it. You know, yeah. is it possible to do it? Do we owe that to our listeners? I don't know. Do we? I'm sure that. Let's discuss the Challenger series. What did you? Or no, I'm, I'm going to shut up and let you take it. Go, well, you I, go. I, I'm not I against like... talking WSL, by the way. I'm for it, but I just it seemed like a down week for WSL. I like where your head is at, though. I like the idea of a. Uh... I've received a lot of messages from people who want to boycott the thing as a whole, like from even watching events. So I don't think that they would be opposed to us not discussing, but I'm, I'm trying really hard to make it through make or break season two. Oh, and, uh, I told you episode one was about Kelly winning at pipe last year. And I was like, man, I watched. Yeah. Yeah. I told you, you know, there, it, it got released and then we went a couple of weeks it took a while for us to actually dig into the series. And the reason was, I think for me, because it's a year outdated basically, but watching that first episode, seeing Kelly win that event, that was so spectacular. And Kelly is also such a fascinating human. So you were, you're like, what did you learn from this episode? And I go, well, I didn't necessarily learn anything, but I loved being a fly on the wall in Kelly Slater's house, seeing his interaction with his girlfriend, all that sort of stuff I really appreciated. Well, now I'm four episodes in and I've got to be honest, all of that interest has waned and episode, I think two or three was Owen Wright at Bell's episode four is, uh, Jack Robinson and Morgan Siblick. 
And I'm like, uh, Morgan Siblick's not on tour anymore. Owen Wright is not on tour anymore. So this feels, I told you it was a year outdated. It feels five years outdated. You know what I mean? So that has a lot less interest to me. But I thought to myself, well, the idea of Morgan getting cut, coming off a fifth, that's all somewhat interesting, maybe for the lay person. And then I realized, no, they are boring people. Like the reason episode one was good was because Kelly Slater is a very interesting human being. But now, Owen Wright, I mean, Jesus Christ, he's not that interesting. And and his sister, Tyler, was part of that too. And she's a little bit more interesting, you know. But then Morgan mm-hmm. Siblick, Jack Robinson, as much as I love Jack Robinson as a surfer, bland as watching paint dry in terms of personality. And so... I'm I'm grasping. I don't think I'm going to finish the series at this point. Um, I want to like it. And I was like seeing Jack and his girlfriend interact. Why is this not as interesting as Kelly and his girlfriend? Again, it's just their personalities. You know, they're just not that interesting. And then I was thinking, well, when I was young, I was a lot more interested in every little detail that I could glean of the surf world. Every little bit of surf media I wanted to absorb somehow. And so I'm older and I don't have that fanboy thing. And so maybe it's more me than it is the content itself. But then I thought back to the lost videos within 30 seconds of a lost video. It could be the beginning or just fast forward somewhere in the middle and just start in the middle within 30 seconds. Those personalities of those athletes is so obvious and love them or hate them. But Chris Ward uh, Corey Lopez, Shay Lopez, Casey Curtis, Randall, Chick, like all of them, Aaron Cormican, they all had such distinct, colorful personalities, which is, you know, all illuminated through their surfing, which is what makes it fun. But it was just entertaining is what it was. And when you take make or break and stack it next to a lost film, you're just like, dude, they're incomparable in terms of entertainment value. And so I think that Make or Break is going to have a tough time getting renewed for season three at this point, if it has, or ha- I don't know if it has or hasn't already, but I just, I'm a core fan. I want to be fully yeah. engaged and I, I'm, I'm out, you know? Yeah. A couple of things. One thing is I'm reminded of John Crook, who's a major league baseball player. One time he was asked, um, something about his athleticism and he said athlete i'm not an athlete i'm a baseball player (laughs) and that's when you talk about athletes and lost videos i'm like those guys aren't athletes they're surfers perfect now i think Corey lopez and shay lopez were pretty competitive and athletic minded but you know chris ward's a surfer yeah (laughs) and you know uh but and then you know you those lost videos, they're just, they're obviously they're fast paced. The pacing's incredibly, you know, boom, boom, boom. And the music's pretty radical. And some of the, it's, it's just some kind of, you know, it's a, there's a lot of like anti hero stuff going on there. Um, and it's not, you know, the WSL's like kind of clean and pristine and, and they frankly should be. I don't think they want to show too much dirt. It's probably not good for the brand. Um, you know, you're not going to see 
crazy drunk lost parties in San Clemente. Yeah, but you could still have personality. I'm not saying you need to be a I agree. reprobate I agree. or whatever. I agree. But I mean, it makes me think, because when you were saying that, I was like, okay, so this year, like, Jao would be one that you'd want to be involved with. Probably Elo. Um, everyone else gets sort of, all the rough edges get sanded off by their people, yeah. you know? And... Um, I mean, in some ways, you might it might be more interesting to get some of the coaches, you know, um, yeah. like Jake Patterson, or I don't even know um, Yago Dora's father. Um, is that yeah. who coaches Jack? Yeah, Leon. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he has an edgy personality or not, but you want to find edge, you know. Yeah. Like, Leandro was a punk. Us. Please do not bore us. Leandro was a punk. He was in a punk band. He's got tons of personality and edge. Perfect. As yeah. long as he's not also smoothed out by the PR machine. Yeah, no, I think the there's so much money involved and nobody wants to bite the hand that feeds at that level. And like there aren't a lot of paychecks available in surfing for the last 10 years. So that's why everything got homogenized and whitewashed. But it's really to their own detriment, you know, like it's. And it leaves a wide open lane for Stab to do what they're doing. And for, uh, by the way, a free surfer to just be a free surfer like Mason Ho and to be able to kind of uh, stand apart from everybody who's trying really hard just to get the bottom paycheck on the WSL. It's almost not worth chasing. Just do what Nathan That's Florence is doing. That's why I think doing. Nathan Fletcher is so engaging Full. is that you just know that Nathan Fletcher is, is not going to... Um, I guess I would say sacrifice his who he is for the camera or for you know what he's producing yeah. via Vans or whoever. Yeah. He's just going to be Nathan Fletcher and be like, you know, whatever. I can't. You know, I'm not going to try to recreate what Nathan does, but he's. I guess what you get is sincerity, and and that seems to be um, lacking when a PR machine or a team gets around a guy and goes, look, here's what you need to say. Here's how, you know, here's yeah. how you should say it. Here's how you should present yourself. Always put the hat on, yeah. you know, what we need is like a John Daly character or like, well, Jao Chianka, like yeah. Jao's fresh enough where we could see who he is and he wouldn't, you know, he's going to wear it on a sleeve, which is sort of the nature of most of the Brazilians is that, you know, they are engaging. Well, and Joao at this point, because he's, uh, I don't, not officially his rookie year, but because he's new to us, he's letting his surfing do the talking. You know, he doesn't need to uh, explain what it is or explain who he is or anything like that. He's just letting the surfing do the talking, which is great because the surfing's radical. Yeah, it's. It's it's interesting because there's just not a whole lot of people that come to my mind like oh I'd like to I because I, I look at it like the like the director or the producer of the show like I, you know the content creator like I'm I want to find the guy who's got some ups and downs some personality for lack of a better phrase some uh, some edge and a little look we all it's the human condition to have. Um, problems and to have errors and to have flaws totally and to not show mm -hmm. that stuff is boring as hell and everyone sees through it yeah and um you know yep that's the problem that the producers face is um you know the wsl is probably has a bit of a 
a yes or a no, a, a green light or a red light on the editing of this thing. Yeah, well, and the one athlete who did say something that was interesting or take a stance on anything at all was Bethany Hamilton, and she's That's been a the show. She's been effectively that, canceled by the WSL because of it. That would be the best show they could do was 100%. that drama that occurred last week or two weeks ago. Yep. I mean, if I was a producer, I'd be like, let's go there right now and get her on camera. Talk. I mean, you, you want viewership yeah. <laughs> or not? Yeah, exactly. They just don't understand that one detail, uh, which is so. Which is why the PGA Tours version of that show this year is so good because they have all of the drama from this breakaway Saudi Arabian sports washing league called Live, and the pro golfers that are tormented and torn by like, oh, I mean Jamal Khashoggi got murdered by the same people who are writing me checks. Oh, what do I do? Oh, well, it's for my family. You know, like there's just legitimate. political and uh, societal issues at, at stake here. It's, it's fascinating. It is very fascinating. Um, well, at any rate, that's all I got for make or break. Um, it's probably the last time I'll talk about it. Probably the last time I'll watch it. Uh, but the one other WSL, <laughs> the other WSL news is uh, just laughing because there's, there's never anything pro WSL that comes out of your mouth lately. Uh, Give me I, one good thing. By the way, I'm 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 as critical of the WSL as you are, but I can't give you one good thing because I'm gonna uh, give me one good thing. You can give me one good thing. Hmm. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. Here's moving on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's the caveat: is the things that they've, uh, you know, the three good days of competition that they ran. You could say, oh, there was a great day at Pipe this year. There's a great day at Sunset. But it falls so short of the potential of what the thing could and should be, you know? And right. so, yeah, I could give them a blue ribbon and a pat on the back for a participation trophy, essentially. But they're still falling so short of of what it could and should 16, be. 16 guys in a surf contest in really great waves over a day and a half or two days. Yeah, you got these athletes yeah, who are at the highest level that they've ever been in the history of this thing that we're doing, and you just simply are not allowing them the canvas to do their work on. You're, you're actively stymieing their growth, their potential, their progression, all of that stuff. And so it's hard yeah. for me to then say, oh yeah, well, this one detail that they did was right. And I'll just give you an example. And the other thing is like, I've, you know, I have interactions with the people who work in the company. I have interactions. We've tried to work with the company. They've sent us a proposal to have this show as part of their slate of programming back in COVID times. So I've had enough interactions to kind of understand the deals that are trying to be made. And it's, it's uh, problematic. So anyways, it's hard, hard to come up with anything great. What about the next event? So, Bells, yeah. When does bells start? By the way, do you know? Do you have this? April fourth. April fourth. Okay, so we got a couple Are of you weeks. Excited about the next event? Like, do you look? Do you no. look forward to April fourth? I mean, barely. I do. Uh, I kind of do. I would if the, it depends on what the forecast Until is. Until it if, starts, and then I'm yeah. like, oh no. <laughs> it, it, it's, it depends on what the forecast is. But anyways, I didn't mean for this tangent to be you right. know to bash them, but I wanted to say state for the listeners who are interested in the news, the CS schedule was finally released for 2023. What's funny yeah. about it is it's March 21st. Like literally a week ago, 
The Challenger series, this is the series that props up the CT, was not set in stone. We're three months into the year and this thing wasn't locked down yet. So that is hugely problematic for me. But uh, it's essentially the same schedule as last year, except interestingly, the Holly Eva event is not um, a Challenger series event anymore, which is, I think, a miss. That's been uh, relegated to a 1,000 event instead of 10,000 points or whatever this Challenger series points are. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the the locations, you say to yourself, what kind of surfer is going to come out of these events? Like this kind of reminds me of the Jack Robinson thing years ago when he was kind of trying to get on the CT. And we're yeah. like, he's good enough to friggin' win pipe. Get him on the CT. Right. And they have these Challenger Series events at places where he simply couldn't get onto the CT. He couldn't qualify. He was having problems, you know, when you've got, you know, 15 really red hot Brazilian aerialists in three feet, three foot waves doing what they do to get through heats. And, um, so, you know, what gets spit out at the end of the CS is unfortunately, I think, and more will be revealed, um, but is can be, unfortunately, um, you know, a lot of guys that are just going to be in the bottom half of the of the CT. Um, and now, occasionally, look, we got a we get a Jiao Chianka. We get these guys that are incredible, you know, and, and you do need new blood. And so you do have to have this qualifying series just unfortunate that they didn't include in my opinion holly eva should be that last event and it should also be more points if you can do that now again i know that they've talked this thing through and combed it through and they've been they've you know we're sitting here i specifically am sitting here without giving it too much thought but i just think um let's give some some power to powerful waves well the they do give it a lot of thought, but the thought isn't what are the best waves in the world and how do we put the best servers in those waves and generate, you know, uh, a progressive model to advance our sport. The questions that they're discussing are more, I think, sponsor related, business related. They Jesse Miley Dyer did say something about um, wanting to have different regional events, you know, so, so that there's recovering all the various regions in the world so that they're adequately represented surfers in those areas are adequately represented but i don't know i feel like that's kind of bs as well um interestingly i mean well go ahead i i was just gonna say in regards to that um it makes sense that you want to be able to say hey look if you're from this region we have a we have a qualifying event for you because we know it's hard for you to say travel just to try to qualify it's too expensive And I would say, look, at this point in the ball game, if you don't have the fiscal backing to travel the world to try to qualify, um, it's a pipe dream. I'm not sure you're in. Yeah. I don't think you're in, and it's unfortunate, but you're just not in. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, if you're a red hot surfer from some third world country, and you just, you're just, it sucks that you don't have enough money to be a participant in this. You just, you know. Yeah, I agree. Well. Uh, Stab Magazine wrote an, Mikey Ciaramella wrote an article for Stab where he interviewed Jesse a little bit. He just got some like talking points from her. But uh, she posted that this morning. She said, hey, thanks to Stab Magazine for promoting or posting this, promoting this. And I just wanted to read you some of the comments off of her own Instagram page that I saw this morning. Um, Mm -hmm. 
there's 11 comments and I'm going to kind of scan through them. They're all negative. One of them okay. says, uh, all the tours seem weaker and weaker year after year. And then we get a bunch of corporate speak from you and Elo about how robust and successful it all is. Somebody else says crappiest waves for the challenger series, unless they score a great swell at snapper. That's the only decent wave on the tour. Somebody else says, how and why was Holly Eva relegated to a mere QS 1000? Always a key contest historically. Why a severe downgrade and not an additional 1,000 points for regional program instead? Somebody says, this tour, quote unquote, is so close to implosion, any day Zip riffs the wallet and puff, it's all over. Um, somebody else mentioned Liam, Liam O'Brien because uh, Mikey asked... Why isn't Liam O'Brien qualified as a rookie or classified as a rookie this year? And I don't know if you remember, but Liam O'Brien qualified last year, but he was injured for pipe and actually didn't end up surfing any of the events in that season. So this is the first year or the first yeah year that he's actually surfing in an event. And so Jesse answered that and said, when we were looking at how somebody's classified as a rookie, it's the year that you come in. He was injured in the window for pipe as well. So it was uh, a given that he'd be out for the full year. Obviously, he didn't compete on the CT that year, but for us, he'd qualified. He showed up ready to compete, which is why he was. Uh, the decision was made that he was not a rookie in 2023. So one of the other comments says, "I invite you to check out the the official definition on Merriam-Webster for rookie. It's a first year participant in a major professional sport. The keyword participant. Help me understand how you all have a rule." that very few of your athletes even want in the first place that prevents someone from competing at all their rookie season by absolutely no fault of their own. And then you make them ineligible for rookie of the year. So lots of, uh, lots of negative feedback from standard viewers. Well, look, I mean, the commentary section is generally low hanging fruit for people who want to complain. It's easy to complain and um you know i don't know i think it's valid criticism i'm not saying it's not valid i'm just saying you're not going to get any glowing commentary on these things it's all going to be negative and maybe not negative maybe I, you're right it's okay so it's valid but i don't know i just you know well, how social media is it's just like it's so easy to get haters that you know, people, these are, these are intelligent people live, to, people live to judge this stuff, you know, and these are intelligent comments though, that are, you know, rooted in a yeah. real understanding of what's happening. And the other thing that they said in the article that Michael wrote was the headline for the article actually was you could miss the mid-year cut and still win a world championship. And the story that he then asks Jesse about is, or the storyline that he asks her about is Stephanie Gilmore may not make this mid-year cut. She's coming in to Australia under the line. She needs some good results at two events in order to make the mid-year cut. So he said, will she be given wild cards through the rest of the season? And will Slater? And Jesse said, oh, well, it's too early to make that decision. They still have a chance to requalify. He goes, yes, but mathematically, if she did got, get wild cards for the rest of the season and then she just swept the rest of the season or maybe just made it into fifth place and did what she did last year, get into finals day, she could still, in theory, win a world title while not even being on tour, by actually being cut at the beginning of the season. And Jesse said, yeah, that's that's true. That could happen. And so when you state it like that, it makes it all seem like just so poorly designed. And then 
rewriting the rules along the way, essentially, you know, like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to release the CS, uh, schedule three months into the year, two months before the next event. And it's, you, so you got to plan your year with two months notice essentially. And we're going to eliminate one of the events that we had on last year, but we, you know, you didn't know that in advance, but we're just going to let you know now. And that's going to affect who's on tour next year or that later this year. Like it's insane. You know, yeah. it really feels Unfocused. Like a bit of a farce. Yeah. Well, I guess the quick answer to that is look, if you are giving a, given a wild card and you Whatever happens, happens. Regardless, you're not going to be in the top five. So if you end up in the top five, you will get pushed out, and whoever's number six will move into the fifth spot. Yeah. Problem solved. There you go. Write the new rule. Implement it immediately. <laughs> I'm sure it's being written right now. <laughs> totally. Well, at any rate, uh, what else do you got? Um, I don't have much else, to I've be got honest a, with you. I've got a kook for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, I've got two things. Did you watch the Luke uh, Shepherdson little mini documentary on Stab? No, I see it here. I want to watch it. I got caught up watching the thing from last week, the the Jai Glindeman thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, the Luke thing is pretty good. I, I was just going to say it's um, it, the story's been told so many times now. It, it feels like it's a little bit dated. The problem. So I love the video production stuff, of course, that of course that stab is doing, but, yeah. um, it's hard to execute high quality video production with timely news stories, essentially, you know? Yeah. So like, the, know, you almost want to wait six months and show it to us in August when yeah. we had forgotten about it. And we're like, Oh yeah. That... Yeah. And we of course love Luke. We love the Eddie. We love all of it. And it's great to see, uh, they interview Clyde throughout it. Clyde gives his version on how and why he invited Eddie, you know, or, um, Luke. So it's well done. It just felt like story that we had already kind of regurgitated a number of times. Um, the other thing that they advertised this week is a feature film coming out that looks absolutely awesome. It is called, um, I don't know where it is in my notes. Oh, it's called The Greatest Surf Movie in the Universe. And this is made <laughs> by Nick Paulette, who is a... Uh, um, Maddie Wilkinson's filmer back in the day. And this is a concept that he's put together with Nick, uh, Vaughn, Vaughn Blakey, Ronnie Blakey's yeah. brother. Vaughn's done phenomenal surf films in the past. We know of course, free scrubber did the Morgan Sibilic movie before Morgan qualified. And, uh, so Nick was pitching this idea to Vaughn apparently, and Vaughn was kind of shooting it down over and over for years. And then Nick kind of just, Put, put together a little sizzle reel, like, no, this is the vision. And the vision is stop motion animation. And so it, it seems kind of like a far out there concept, but when you see it, it is hilarious looking. It looks like, uh, like a Hollywood produced film, but it happens to be about surfing. So the concept is that it's set in 2023, I'm sorry, 2033. So 10 years in the future, uh, it's a dystopian future. Surfers have forgotten why they actually do the thing. You know what I mean? Like they've forgotten what it is. They're just now surfing wave pools and it's by rote. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it's baseball essentially instead of, uh, an individualistic pursuit. And so Mick Fanning, 
who comes from this previous era, sets out on a mission to remind surfers why they are surfing. And so it's this superhero chronicles journey, essentially, where he's he gets Matt Wilkinson to come with him. They in, in, they uh, encounter Slater at a certain point. Slater joins the group and they're reminding people why they surf. Um, and it's it looks hilarious. So I just encourage you to go check out the trailer. It's called The Greatest Surf Movie in the Universe. So that could be a must-see moment. Um, and then my my kook, Bali, the island nation of Bali, it wants to ban tourists from riding motorcycles. And so you might think that I'm going to say Bali is the kook here, but I'm not. I'm going to tell you that people, tourists behaving badly in surf destinations and not uh, abiding by local customs are the kooks here you know why they need to ban motorcycles is because dumbasses drink a ton of beer and then jump on it and yeah the traffic there is chaotic and so they're kind of doing what the locals are doing but when you're drunk and you crash the thing and it creates problems you know this is the problem it's drunk tourists being obnoxious so while it looks chaotic there's actually order to the chaos you're just unaware of it and when you're drunk you're extra unaware of it and apparently police say that there was 171 foreign nationals violating traffic orders in the last two weeks of february 171 in two weeks so that's a problem alcohol sounds like alcohol they're not going to outlaw beer you know what they need to outlaw (laughs) cars too many cars on bali so just motorcycles uh, no cars yeah Okay. Just, you know, maybe some taxis, but I mean, there's, I heard from somebody, and again, I'm not an expert on Bali, but um, to the Balinese, um, a symbol of, obviously a symbol of wealth is to own a car. And so there's a ton of cars being imported to Bali and they just simply, the infrastructure can't handle it. Yeah. And um, I frankly would never go to Bali ever again. Yeah. Because it's just, it's way too crowded. I yeah. mean, getting around in Bali's, unless you just go out to the Phuket and you hang out there and you live there, and that's fine, you know, just just stay out there on the peninsula and hang out and surf. But if you want to get around and cruise around and go to all the cool places, Ubud and all those places, it's kind of a mission to travel around there, man. It's You got to plan around the rush hour. Yeah. Well, I've decided... I'm against people as a whole. <laughs> like, like people, people are the are worst. Like it, we, we've been doing, we've had like a bunch of different weekend getaway trips for the last two months. And yeah. I'm just like between the traffic or then you get somewhere and people are obnoxious. And I'm like, I put all this work and money into doing this little thing that was supposed to be a getaway and it ends up being a net negative. And it's always the people <laughs> are the reason why, you know? drunk people loud people people bring their freaking boom box to the pool at the resort and you're just like are you kidding me right now you think everybody wants to listen to your music like what is wrong with let you? me let me give you a little tip here if if where you're staying which is called a resort allows people with boom boxes you're not at a resort yeah there's <laughs> you're a whole at backstory. A motel. Yeah. you're at a glorified motel <laughs> there's a whole backstory i could tell you i don't want to tell it on air um, okay, don't do but then literally two days ago, we live in a, in a nice area. You know what I mean? Or yeah. it certainly was nice at some point. Two days yeah. ago, I'm driving down the street with a kid in the back seat, 
and the car in front of me throws a full crumpled up piece of paper just out the window, just like ditched it out the window. And I watched the thing hit the ground and I'm like, what (laughs) is even in that person's mind? So I speed up and I just want to like see who it is. And it's just an average, it's just an average older dude, just an average older white dude. He looked pretty trashy, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't some kid who didn't know better or whatever. Like, I don't know what excuse I would even give them to where they should know better. But I'm like, dude, this is presumably your neighborhood or your town. And you're just doing that. What are you even thinking? And then I'm thinking, how do I address this? Am I going to roll? I've got a water bottle right here. Can I roll down a window and throw a piece of trash into his car? And I'm like, no, I got a kid in the back of my car. What if he's violent? What if he's, you know, like, I have no idea how that ends. But I I was just livid. And it stirred me up for like the next six hours. I was like upset because I witnessed this one thing. But this all comes back to what I'm saying is people. People are the worst. Behave yourself. Have a little bit of dignity. You know what I mean? (laughs) we're all here together. Give you we're all advice. trying to be here together. Be civil. Prayer. Pray for patience. That's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. Good I thought I was supposed to pray for him. <laughs> you are, actually. Okay. You are supposed to pray for him. Okay. Uh, anyway, look. Um, it's been a great show. Until next time, David. Adios and aloha. I'm the entertainer, and I know just where I stand. Another serenader, and another long-haired band. Today I am your champion. I may have won your hearts, but I know the game. You forget my name, and I won't be here in another year if I don't stay on the charts. I am the entertainer, and I've had to pay my Twice. Ah, but still they come to haunt me Still they want their say So I've learned to dance with a hand in my pants And I rub my neck and I write them a check And they go their merry way Ooh. I am the entertainer Been all around the world I've played all kinds of palaces And laid all kinds of girls I can't remember faces After a while and a thousand miles, it all becomes the same.
pound back. 